Welcome to the Eat More Barbecue Podcast. I'm Ryan Sanderson, and every week I lead you through the world of Alberta barbecue and beyond, bringing you stories of the amazing people in and around the barbecue culture. This podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen in. I appreciate the gift of your time, and I hope I can entertain you for a little bit. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on your favorite podcatcher, and I'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. And now, on with this week's show. Welcome, everybody, and thanks for being a part of the Eat More Barbecue family. This is episode number 131 of Canada's longest-running barbecue podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back, and I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas and holiday season. I certainly was spoiled by my family. Among some other cooking and barbecue-related gifts, I got a great rotisserie tray attachment that works uh, wonderfully for ribs, wings, and a bunch of other stuff. Gave it a test run the other day on the Weber kettle, and it worked out great doing some ribs and some wings. Check out my Instagram for some videos of the uh, rotisserie tray in action. This week on the podcast, we have part two of the 2020 year in review, looking back at some fun moments from the second half of the year. I hope you all enjoy it, but first, let's take care of a little business. Coming up in the new year, I'll be having a monthly product review segment on the podcast. If you have a barbecue sauce or rub, cooking gadget, anything uh, cooking or barbecue related that you would like to have featured, get in contact with me on social media or by email at eatmorebarbecue at gmail.com. Hey friends, thinking of creating your own podcast but don't know where to start? Get in touch with us at eatmorebarbecue at gmail.com. Eat More Barbecue Digital Media can help you with consulting, recording, voice work, or full production. This episode of the Eat More Barbecue podcast is brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network and one of the many shows that make up the network. Hosted by Andrew, Charlie, and Greg, It's a Conspiracy lays out the beliefs behind selected conspiracy theories, alternative accounts, legends, myths, and more. They explain these without offering opinions on validity and accuracy until the end of each episode, where the guys give a brief opinion or comment on whatever has been presented. Here they are to tell you about it. It's a conspiracy! Alright! It's a Conspiracy is the podcast where we lay out the beliefs behind selected conspiracy theories, alternative accounts, legends, myths, and more. We do our best to present these without coloring them with our opinion until the end, where we let our feelings fly. We also do beer reviews, chat about geek culture, and whatever else strikes our fancy. Good times. And we're a part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Visit www.albertapodcastnetwork.com for links to It's a Conspiracy and all the other great shows on the network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get into part two of the year in review. As we turned the corner into the second half of 2020, I was very pleased to have Brian Norton and Andrew Martinez join me on the show. Brian and Andrew are the hosts of the Tales from the Pits podcast, and their show was one of the inspirations for me to start this podcast. In this clip, they share some of their more memorable moments from three years of podcasting and traveling around Texas and the southern U.S. There's been a lot of memorable moments for for different reasons, but uh, I mean, we had the, the West Texas trip that we did for the passport was so much fun. Um, it was our first experience going to Ebby Mays, right. which just blew us away. I mean, at, at this point in our fatness eating careers, we have there's very few times where 
we're both just completely blown away by a meal. And most of the, I mean, we know the great places are the great places and we expect them to be great. And obviously, yeah. Evie Mays was number nine on the list at the time. So we knew it would be good, but it was one of those moments where we both took a bite of food and we looked at each other like, is that really as good as I think it is? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It, yeah, so that, that whole trip was fun. You know, we, we spent two or three days, uh, Brian, myself, and Leslie, Brian's wife, spent three days, I think, on the road, uh, traveled all across Texas, ate at, I don't know, seven or eight different places across those three days, and just had, had a blast doing it. And then, mm-hmm. obviously, as the podcast has, has grown a little bit, and, you know, a couple of people have listened to it, and we've gotten to, you know, meet just a lot of people. And that's the whole reason that we started in the first place, was to meet some of the people that, you know, that we had so much reverence for that cooked right. this amazing barbecue, and find out, like, their, their motivations, what was behind them. And they all have different stories of how it started for them. I mean, some people were born into it. Some people came to it from a completely different career path. Some people left it and came back to it. You know, it's, it's just been fascinating for us to find out all these different avenues of people's lives and how it all ended up in this one very similar place. All these, all these different backgrounds that, you know, you've got people like Sam Jones and, and Wayne Miller and John Miller um, and Leanne that, that have been in, it's been in their family, yeah. you know, the, the black family, um, all of those people that, that have been around for so long, but then you have people that were kind of just thrust into it. And, um, you know, one of the more interesting ones is Patrick Fegis where, mm-hmm. um, you know, his career and path wasn't barbecue no. uh, and, until the military and, and, and the, uh, uh, I don't really know if you'd call it an accident, but, um, until the explosion, you yeah. know, did so much damage that it, it, it allowed him an opportunity to get in um, and he got under the right tutelage and he got under the, he did great quality. And so it's, it's great and fascinating to listen to how they landed into this little world that, that barbecue is mm-hmm. uh, some of the pit builders as well, you know, that, that, you know, they're making a living and they're very big in this environment of barbecue, but it's just almost happenstance that they came into that. Yeah, you know, right. Well, Sonny Moberg, whose grandfather was involved with Smoky Denmark way back years ago. Smoky Denmark's known for for years in Austin of being a very quality sausage provider. So okay. he had an avenue of barbecue in his blood. But uh, you know, his place in barbecue became something totally different. He had a welding and fabrication business for mm-hmm. for years and years, which eventually evolved into pit building. So stories like that are what yeah. keep it fun for me, at least. Is just finding those different. Those different stories, and obviously, if you do as many episodes as Ryan, I know you've done over a hundred episodes now. We've yeah. done a hundred and whatever. You know, you do get some similar stories, but sure. every once in a while, when you find that really unique story, you're like, "Oh wow, I never knew that about this." And it could be someone that you thought you knew for a very long time, you know, or at least on the periphery, and then you really sit down and talk with them, and and you find out that there's even more to the story than you originally thought. So those things are super interesting. Obviously, the things that we've gotten to do um, in terms of we've gotten to cook with some really, really great cooks and masters. And that's been so much fun. I mean, that's, that, those are the nerdy experiences for me anyways, to, is to get to even, even if that means cutting a vegetable for them, I don't care. Just the fact that I get to sit yeah. there and watch them at their craft and, and assist in any way. Even, even the corn. Yeah. The corn. Even, I was gonna... <laughs> even the 10 million ears of corn that we cooked and shucked at a Windy City I'll say um, I'll, I'll just bring up two experiences that um, off the top of my mind um, experience wise. Right. So um, the first one was was having a drink of Pappy Van Winkle with mm. um, with Russell, um, Russell Regal and uh, 
he, and Aaron Franklin, that was pretty, pretty phenomenal at, yeah. at the, at, I think it was at brisket camp, but we went to, we, we got to go to brisket camp, barbecue camp. And then uh, my wife funded me to go to creative sausage making as well. So those right. were, those were really cool times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Sam Jones, um, just an, an amazing guy. Um, that was phenomenal. Um, we also did a, um, uh, we, we, we helped out with John Miller and he put on a, a an event called the Tonto Fest. Right. Yep. Um, and it was, it was very interesting. So he, um, I, I'll, I'll use the word attempted cause it didn't come out great, but, um, he did a half of a cow. Yeah. So instead of doing a, you know, half of a hog, it was a half of a cow. Yeah. Uh, he also took another half, um, and he did a four, he did two four quarters. He took the other four quarter and, um, cut it and sectioned it up and did that on a pit. Uh, which came out really, really well. But um, some of those cooking experiences and and sitting with these legends and talking to them and but but having it done in a in a in a relaxed, open environment that's that's what we really enjoy. Uh, yeah, that's that's been the most fun. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Of, Charleston wine and food is another one for me. That's that. Charleston wine and yeah. food. Yeah. Next up from episode 111 in August is a clip featuring three previous guests of the show. Rob Reinhardt, John Thompson, and Brian Misko are veterans of the Canadian barbecue scene, and all three were contestants this year on the Food Network show Firemasters. Here they are describing life on the set, and Barbecue Brian asks the others what they would have done with the ostrich egg challenge he was presented with. I had a lot of fun with this episode, bringing three good friends together on the podcast. It's two you overheard something or you can see them working on some like an ingredient or whatever it is. All of that was hidden. And so wherever we were and however, what was going on, you had to go to the restroom. You had to be escorted. Well, to a certain degree before they would pass you off and be on your own. But lo and behold, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the protocol behind the scenes. Oh, wow. So yeah, very, uh, almost a little eerie almost. eh? Yeah. Well, it was just top notch, right? Like Rob had said earlier, yeah. the, the production quality in the show, you know, the professionalism and the friendliness of all of the staff. Uh, you know, we were fortunate enough, I guess, to go once they had filmed a few episodes. And, you know, it was by the time we were there, it was a very well oiled machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and it come, that comes through on. Uh on the finished product, just the, uh, the production yeah. level, right? It's, uh, yeah. And the, if anybody from Chorus itself. Entertainment is listening, then the Redemption episode. <laughs> redemption all. episode, yeah. Very professional. Yeah. <laughs> Top notch, very professional. Yeah. The set itself was phenomenal. And um, John and I had, had met each other at the hotel the night before, went and got a drink, and we actually hopped in a cab to see if we go check out this set, right? And from the perimeter... Yeah. We know it's an abandoned lumber yard, but you can't see anything from the road. Okay. And uh, there's that scene in the show where the cooks exit the stage, right? And they go behind some big wooden panels. Yeah. When we're when we're off stage in that spot, we're we're basically standing on the sidewalk. Like somebody could drive right by and we'd wave at them. Okay. But that wall, that fake wall there, prevents anybody from seeing into the set. And it really is an abandoned lumber yard. It's three old right. warehouses, this massive yeah. duct overhead. They may have done a little touch-up paint, but I don't think they had to do very much. It was a it was a rustic scene to begin with. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it fits the show, right? Well, guys, uh, any uh, any last comments about the the Firemasters experience before we wrap it up? I got one. I got yeah. one, and I never asked this before uh, to anybody that came in in relationship to the show. But uh, and John, I want to hear your comments first, and then Rob second. But what the hell would you do with an ostrich egg? 
<laughs> I thought about that ostrich egg. I would like, I mean, what do you do that's creative with an egg? You know, mm-hmm. there's, it's, it's either an omelet or it's French toast, or I think ultimately I probably would have used part of the egg to do some breading of something. So I would have used it to, to dip something into, roll something up, maybe pan fry something, and then do some vegetables over fire and, and hope for the best. But I, I would have got killed because you're using the very smallest essence of that ingredient. You're just technically yeah. using it. Like it was, mm-hmm. that's a real crapshoot, man. And I, Brian, I, yeah, go ahead. Brian, were you given one egg or several? Uh, as many as I wanted, but one <laughs> ostrich, one ostrich egg is 24 chicken eggs. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I don't know. Watching you flip that French toast, man. Uh, it's just like, please, please, please. Yeah. Oh, that was hard. I think you nailed. I think you nailed the dish, Brian. Yep. I, yep. I don't know what I would have done that would have been more creative with that with that ostrich egg. At the end of August, I had the pleasure of visiting the Winters Turkeys Farm, just east of Calgary. Laurel is the third generation to operate this family operation, and along with her husband Lyle, they are carrying on the traditions laid out by her parents and grandparents. Lyle gave me a tour of the farm, and then we sat down for a great conversation. In this clip, he talks about the farm's history, the birds they raise, and he shares a funny story about getting over his own bird phobia. Uh, Winter's Turkeys uh, is a... Uh, third generation farm uh, started by my wife's grandfather uh, in in just right here on the homestead yep and uh, then took taken over by my wife's dad and now my wife Laurel uh, has taken over so um, the farm started as a lot of farms in this area do with a mixed um, mixed farming operation lots of different streams of income between cattle and and um, grain farming Mm -hmm. and turkeys was part of that and and, um jack actually started some you know daryl's told me about some of his first deliveries were driving into like the bank of montreal on stephen avenue and like dropping off turkeys at the back door and that's kind of how we got started selling turkeys and um so started with turkeys uh 1958 and it's really grown it's grown into you know our really the main thing we do here on the farm now right. and uh, we raise free range um, and organic turkeys so those are those are two titles that people may have heard and not totally understand what that means mm-hmm. so um, a free range turkey uh, if it says free range on the packaging that means it, it is raised without antibiotics okay um, and then another thing that you you may see on on advertisements and is that uh, this poultry is raised without hormones right. which is actually the case for all poultry right. there's no poultry raised with any hormones so uh, sometimes we get people asking us about that yeah. and then our, our organic birds uh, are raised under the exact same free-range protocols and they receive a different feed yep. that is uh, so all their inputs are certified organic and um, we choose uh, you don't have to by any stretch but we choose to raise uh, our organic birds as, as a heritage right an orlop breed yeah um and but again you could raise other breeds of turkeys as organic organic. that's just yeah so and then a bit about myself i um grew up north here uh Mm -hmm. three hills on a farm not uh not very much poultry on that farm i had a pretty huge phobia of birds growing up but i met 
uh, Laurel, and uh, she helped me overcome that fear. Good. Yeah. I guess it was one or the other. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I very distinctly recall it was Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. and we were moving turkeys from the brooder barn to a grower barn. And one thing I've learned since then is that when when evening comes and the sun starts to set, turkeys yep. just sit down wherever they're at, oh. and it's time to sleep. Okay. And uh, we were moving these birds, and they were starting to get dark. Yeah. And I heard Daryl, who's now my father-in-law, yeah. say, if we just had one more person, we could finish this before it gets dark. Right. And I looked around, and there was only one person he could possibly <laughs> be talking about. So yeah, got that, in there. Uh, that got me into the barn, and yeah. after that, it's just grown from there, and yeah. now I... Uh, I'm, I no longer have a phobia of turkeys, and I, I quite enjoy them. Yeah. So. Kind of like throwing a kid in the water to teach him to swim, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dragged you in. Yeah. This episode of the Eat More Barbecue podcast is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference in their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. In September, Netflix released four episodes of the Chef's Table series dedicated to barbecue cooks. I assembled a panel consisting of Luke Donald from the Moose Shed Barbecue, Peter Zakuski of Pitt County Barbecue, and the host of the best barbecue show, Yoni Levin. Here we are discussing the first episode in the barbecue series, featuring 85-year-old Tootsie Tominitz from Snow's Barbecue in Lexington, Texas. If you watch the show, uh, one thing I would take note of is if you want to really do some research on Miss Tootsie... uh, Go see her, you know, the Yeti documentary and maybe like the Southern mm-hmm. Living, these little plugs. She doesn't yeah. say much. In the Yeti doc, I think she has two sentences. They just show her working. Yeah. yeah. And that's really how she is, you know, spending over 100 Saturdays there. We, I mean, we've had some conversations, but it, she's not always that chatty. She's more like, get out of my yeah. way. I'm working. Yeah. 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 Let's you get takes the pictures and gets back to work, right? <laughs> she loves taking pictures. Yeah. Well, and that, that actually, I did find that part interesting, how they talked about kind of that transition for her. And it was after her husband and uh, and her son died that she kind of embraced that part of it, right? The uh, the celebrity part of it. Well, and it she'd already been cooking a lot, but it kind of, mm. it, it, it left less barriers, you know. We've gone from this point where, you know, everyone at Snow's cooks, but... You know, Miss Tootsie, no one really knew. They Like, the locals knew who she was, but no one really right. paid attention. And all of a sudden, it's like, I mean, Miss Tootsie it works hard, but she doesn't do everything. You know what I mean? Right. And it's yeah. it's fun because we're all, you know, no one's, no one's like, mad that she's getting all the attention. But it's just funny to me because I talk to people and they think that she cooks by herself for, like, 300 people, which <laughs> I don't think any restaurant has one no. person, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But I love the mythology and the legends that are being like passed down. People send me all kinds of crazy questions about snows. It's, I'm like an unofficial ambassador. Yeah, <laughs> and it's a it's a good story, right? It's oh, a great story. Yeah, you. Uh, yeah. Speaking you, of that, uh, go ahead, Naomi. Uh, I mean that that shot of her wiping her face with the towel. That's yeah. she's constantly. I mean, it's and and when they shot it, it was what that was like 
a little cooler weather. But I mean, I was there over the summer um, yeah. while they were shipping and she's pouring sweat. It's, you know, 102 degrees under the the um, roof there where all the yep. pits are. And she's just shoveling coals and being herself. Yep. Yeah. And you, yeah, speaking of the others there, uh, uh, Clay is kind of the, I guess, the next uh, main cook, right? Yeah. Clay does a lot of the cooking. Clay's a good friend of mine, and he's... uh, Yeah, you've gotten to know him pretty well, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Uh, Clay was the first one that noticed that I was coming every Saturday. Right. He was like, weren't you here last week and the week before? (laughs) And so we made made fast friends, and I have always bugged him about... Because I had done... I had been obsessed with Texas barbecue for years before I discovered snows, so... But I hadn't seen a lot of the Texas crutch or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, the, the way they wrap, the way they serve, you know, a lot... Most places that serve barbecue, they separate the point and the flat, and then they turn the point 90 degrees. They just cut the whole brisket at a 45 with an electric knife. Oh, okay. So there's so many unique details. They serve yeah. basically right off the pit. They let them cool. They let the briskets and things cool a little bit, but they're you're getting it right off the pit, whereas a lot of places are using Alta Shams and warmers. Yeah. So it snows. You're really getting straight off the pit straight and and it just goes till it's gone i mean i'm worried about the next time they open because there's gonna be a thousand people yeah it'll be a nut, serve uh, two or three hundred yeah hey, it'll be a zoo yeah i guess when you open at 8 a.m there's not a lot of time for resting eh? you gotta start you, you guys know you gotta start the day before yeah <laughs> yeah it's a labor of love definitely uh, indeed uh, indeed and, and we all love it Early in November, we took a slight detour away from barbecue to talk to Edmonton, Alberta-based comedian Lars Calio. Lars talks about his reaction to the COVID pandemic and subsequent shutdown and how he pivoted with the Fire Pit comedy tour and also some of his experiences in the past doing shows for the military. So I was in Australia um, at the beginning of March. So, you know, I spend three months, four months overseas each year and there's so many great English speaking comedy clubs in Asia. You might not think about it, but there's a lot of expats mm-hmm. over there. So English teachers sure. and, and the like. And so you tour Australia for about two and a half months or three months. And then you go to four, three or four weeks in Asia and you can play all these amazing comedy clubs, all English speaking comedy clubs. And so, right. Um, so that's usually what I do from March until about the end of May. And I was, I landed in Perth on March 8th, I believe it was. And so we did the first week in Perth, and then we were flying to do a week of shows in Tasmania, which is here's a fun little fact that I always forget to mention. So the island of Tasmania that's just off the coast of Australia is almost the exact same flight distance and ferry distance that Newfoundland is. So mm-hmm. like 10 hour ferry ride or like a you know two, okay. uh, 90 minute flight. And so Tasmania and Newfoundland have real parallels as far as the distance from their, their respective countries, but it's Mainland, a lot of fun. Yeah. And, so, yep. so I was, I landed at the Melbourne airport and we were on our way to Tasmania and COVID, I mean, March 17th yep. and it was just, the world was shutting down. And so here you are mm-hmm. in an international airport trying to decide what yeah. to do. Yeah. And so, um, I went to my favorite, my favorite pub in Australia, it was St. Patrick's day. And so I went to the yes. Exford pub, <laughs> <laughs> celebrated St. Patrick's day in Melbourne before flying home and locking down for, for months. Yeah. They opened up outdoor gatherings, and and all I've ever wanted to do is be on stage, you know. Mm-hmm. And there was no other motivation. There was no, you know. So 
they said that you could have outdoor gatherings. And I, I thought to myself, wait a minute, I could do shows in people's yards and that would have, it would fall within Alberta health guidelines. Right. And, and so I put on Twitter on April 29th, if anybody wants to shoot comedy show in their backyard, I'll bring a speaker and I'll do a show for you thinking that I would do 10 of them. Like I thought eight right. would be a, a highball number. And then mm -hmm. the CTV news heard about it and chorus radio featured us nationally and the Edmonton journal. And so if people want to see some fun stuff, they don't have to like the page. They can, if they like, but if yep. you look at the fire pit and so we made fire pit all one word, the autocorrect yep. probably picks them up, but fire pit comedy tour. So the fire yep. pit comedy tour page on Facebook has show has pictures from all 160 shows. So we ended nice. up doing 162 shows in 147 days. So from May wow. 2nd until September 27th, we were just full throttle, like just pedal to the metal. And we were doing shows, shows, shows. And a friend of mine from Australia sent me a message on Facebook. And he said, you realize that you're the busiest comedian in the world right now? It wasn't, you know, I didn't think it yeah. would be take off the way it did. And it was, um, it certainly helped um, my sanity and mm -hmm. I just wanted to perform. So the idea, you know, we would really, we were extra cautious in that, you know, we kept the numbers quite small and we, we asked people to keep their back gate open, like keep your gate open because, you know, we won't touch your gate. We won't touch your food or your drinks. Right. Um, yep. And so then we would go and do the show, do a 60 or 70 minute comedy show and then pack up and head on to the next show. And yeah. the, the interest, the lack of sports to watch and the fact that it was starting oh, to yeah. warm up and, you know, yep. it was it was perfect. So, you know, I think that one of the things we could do is uh, offer them a comedy show barbecue. You know, if things are safer yeah. in 2021, yeah. <laughs> we'll there come down to your area and go like, we're yeah. going to cook you the best meal you've ever had and put on a comedy show for you and, and do that as a hybrid. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, absolutely. Bring the bring the whole party. Right. And you've done some uh, some military tours as well. Yeah, you know, that was uh, Olivia, who we were talking about, who lives in Texas. She was right. working, um, she's done military tours for her entire 20 year career. So I think she's upwards of like 45 or 50 countries she's performed in. And so she started sending me on military tours in 2010. So 2010, 2011, I did Kuwait and Iraq, and she sent me to Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and Kyrgyzstan. And the flight, the flight home from Kyrgyzstan was 37 hours that's the longest i've ever spent in flights in the airport it was far i remember it being kyrgyzstan istanbul istanbul frankfurt frankfurt toronto toronto edmonton and it was yeah, like yeah it was uh, a, a lot of you know so th those shows you know as we come up on remembrance day or veterans day mm -hmm. in the u.s u.s um i i never wanted i never wanted to sound like i'm paying lip service so i want you to know this is very sincere and mm -hmm. and from the heart I think that the shows that I've done for the military and probably all together, maybe around 40, those ones are the most special because I believe that comedians and entertainers owe a little bit more to the military than the average person. So the fact that I can stand on stage and say what I want and I have this mm -hmm. freedom of speech and somebody sacrificed for that, when I go do the military tours and the military shows, they are so special and, and I think there's a fun... <laughs> So I, when we were doing Kuwait and Iraq, they don't have alcohol in any of the bases. So they were Muslim right. countries, so they didn't have any alcohol in the bases. And I would mm -hmm. say at the end of each show, if you see me perform somewhere where they serve alcohol in North America, or if you see me somewhere, come up and tell me you saw me at a base in Iraq. 
and I will right. pay for your drinks for the rest of the night. And from 2010 and 2011, three times, and I've never mentioned that on any social media anywhere. I just said that on the basis yeah. there. So three times I've had somebody come up and say, I was on a base in Iraq. I saw you perform there. And I go, well, let's belly up to the bar. Drinks are on me. Yeah. And, and they yeah. were like, no, no, I wasn't trying to get free drinks. I'm like, nope, come on. And, and so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, 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 so oh, such an honor. Um, that's funny. My phone's like, um, and so those shows, and so the Canadian ones we've done, one of the shows that was on my bucket list for mm-hmm. 10 years was to do Canadian Forces Station Alert. And okay. so the northernmost manned outpost yep. on the planet Earth is Canadian Forces Station Alert. It's, just, it's the North Pole. And so yep. last December, I got to do a show awesome. in, in Alert. And so you're there for 10 days, 11 days. And, and I was yeah. there with this fantastic band, Ambush is the name of the band. They're from Kingston. And so okay. wonderful guys to just one of the best party bands I've ever seen. Just brilliantly talented. And yep. so look up Ambush. Ambush Army is all their social media. Ambush is so fantastic. So I got to go there and... And the year, uh, Canada Day of 2019, I got a chance to work with Dean Brody in Turkey. So we did a show right. on the back of a Canadian naval frigate. And um, just really, really, it's such an honor. And, you know, yeah. I, I say, you know, I, I never want people to think I'm pandering. I mean it with all No, no, it's, yeah, absolutely. So great. I'm very interested in the history of barbecue, both south of the border and here in Canada. Rockin' Ronnie Shuchuk is truly a pioneer of the barbecue scene here in Calgary and on the West Coast. Ron was introduced to Southern Barbecue after a friend brought home a smoker after a trip to Texas. And it wasn't long after that that he discovered the world of competition barbecue, and the rest is history. There was this barbecue contest that had started up in Calgary called Barbecue yeah. on the Bow, and I think it was in its second year. It was about to have its second, second okay. or third year. It was very early anyway. Right. Yeah. And they were having trouble getting Canadian teams. Mm-hmm. And so Carol and Sandy Dougal, who were the founders of Barbecue on the Bow, and it was actually early on, it was called Festival on the Bow, and it was much bigger than barbecue. It was a right. music festival and food and all this kind of stuff. And Carol and Sandy had started this barbecue contest, and they wanted to get more Canadian teams. So they brought this guy, and I don't know if you know him, Ryan, but his name is Bob Lyon. Yeah, no, I was saw that on your website, but not uh, yeah. not familiar with him. Well, Bob was a big wig in the Pacific Northwest Barbecue Society. Yep. And he and his friend, the fire chef, David Veljasic, who was a Vancouver fireman or, uh, who loved chili contests and barbecue. And David ran the Canadian, uh, he, he went to chili contests. And okay, as yeah. an excuse for his American friends to come up to... New Westminster and cook with him. He he started founded the Canadian Barbecue and Chili Festival. Right. Yep. And so um, anyway, he was a friend of David Jassics, and David consulted with the folks in Calgary to start up their barbecue contest. And Bob Lyon was a really good friend of uh, David's, and they brought Bob Lyon in from Washington State right, to right. stage an all-day barbecue workshop. For people who are anybody who's interested in barbecue, and particularly they were trying to recruit teams for barbecue on the bow, and about a dozen people, uh, you know, you could call them the apostles of Calgary barbecue in a way, right. because from that group of twelve people spending all day with Bob Lyon mm-hmm. in a rented high school classroom uh, somewhere in suburban Calgary, yep. spawned about uh, it spawned about maybe f- at least. Four or five teams, 
And okay. we all competed that that fall yep. uh, in barbecue on the bull, and we were all hooked. That was and, uh, uh, go ahead ninety six, I think. From what your website, I was thinking, yeah, yeah, and and we, I think we won best new competitors that year, sort of a yeah. consolation prize. But nonetheless, we were hooked. We, yes. we just loved the whole. You know, you've competed in barbecue contests, I think, right? Uh, not any of the pro. I've done some like backyard stuff. Uh, oh, all right. Well, still, it'll happen. Yeah, well, th- th- there's lots of time for that. Yes, but barbecue contests are just such a cool thing because yes. You know, I joke about it being the only sport where the, the tailgate party and the sport are the same. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, we competed for a couple of years. And our second year, actually, uh, we... And oh, the, the whole point here is that for the first couple of years of the contest, because it was a qualifier for the Jack Daniels Invitational and the mm-hmm. American Royal in Kansas City, the two of the biggest barbecue contests yes. in the world, and because it was a in international competition, yep. if you won barbecue on the bow, you'd get a you get invited to the American Royal and the Jack Daniels as an international team. So just an automatic invite. It was like a loophole because yeah. in the, for the Jack Daniels in particular, if you win a barbecue t- contest in in the U.S., then you get entered in the draw mm-hmm. to go into the Jack Daniels, and only about fifty teams yeah. were, were entered. So all these American teams would come up to Calgary and there were all these ringers right. and maybe one or two Canadian teams. And we really didn't know much about Southern style barbecue and uh, they would win mm-hmm. and they wanted to just up the level of competition from the Canadian teams. Sure. So, yep. so w- w- my team became one of a handful of teams that were kind of charged with, you know, representing Canada in right. a way. Yeah. And the second year that we competed we came first place in pork shoulder pork butt nice yeah and then we were really hooked yeah you got that call you get the call and you're in right that's right we gotta go up to the dance floor as they say yeah and we competed at the barbecue on the bow for the next uh, six or seven years i ended up moving to vancouver Mm -hmm. and there was the the canadian national barbecue contest that had been started by david Jasic in in New Westminster and in, in, uh, the Vancouver region. Yep. But we competed there for a couple of years, and um, I guess it was in the year 2000. Um, it was two, the summer of 2001. David was sick. He, he was actually uh, had cancer. He was very ill. And the, the, we had the year before, we had actually came, come second place in the Canadian Barbecue Championship. So we were sort of really ready to we were starting to peak and the Canadian contest got canceled and we ended up uh, going down to a a suburb of Portland, Newburgh, Oregon to compete in the Oregon state championship because we just want, and this was me and a couple other people I I assembled a kind of West coast version of the team, the rock and Ronnie's butt shredders were called. And we went down to the Oregon open uh, the three of us and <clears throat> got to the contest late and there were 15 teams there or so. And it was in the, in the, in the kind of like the, the back lot of a, a home hardware in, okay. or, uh, in Newburgh, Oregon. And I'll be darned if we didn't win the contest. We came first in brisket, first in chicken, uh, uh, first in uh, pork shoulder and first overall. And we were, became the first Canadian 
barbecue team to ever win uh, a U.S.-based barbecue contest. Nice. It was really so cool. You know, we got on page three of the the Vancouver Sun and the, <laughs> yeah. the Canucks sent us tickets to the next hockey game. Oh, nice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I remember, Ryan, we – we were, it was so fun to win that contest because it was like fifteen buck, fifteen hundred bucks in prize money, which kind of paid for our expenses. Yep. And um, we were handed the trophies by the kind of like the queen and princesses of the Oregon State Fair or something okay. like that. When we crossed the border in, back into Canada, yeah, the border guard said, "Sir, do you have anything to declare?" And I said, "I declare that we are the." And they, you hear the Oregon State Barbecue Champions. Our last clip comes from the episode 127 at the beginning of December, when I was able to check an item off my podcast bucket list. Spolumbos has become an institution on the Calgary food scene, and I have long been a fan of their food. There isn't much better for lunch than tucking into a cutlet parmigiana sandwich or the mama's meatloaf, and throwing some of their amazing sausage on the grill always makes for a great meal. Co-founder Tony Spalatini joined me on the show, in this, and in this clip, I share my first experience eating at the restaurant. Yeah. This, goes, this goes back to when you were at the old location, uh, okay. a couple blocks away, and I'd been hearing you on uh, on CJ with the <laughs> with Forbes in the morning. And I, I didn't grow up in Calgary, so the, I was still yeah. fairly, fairly new to the city at that time. And we figured, well, my now wife and I, we figured, let's go check this place out on a Saturday, and we we drive down there. And we didn't know it was some sort of Inglewood street fair that day. <clears throat> so it was just a crazy busy day. We managed to park in front of the, the shop and it was a tight little uh, space there. And we go in and it was a, uh, I, th- I don't know if he was a partner or a former employee, Craig Watson. Yeah, I know Craig, Craig was a former teammate and, yep. and good friend and uh, he was helping us out there in those early years. Great yep. guy. So we walk, yeah. in the do- we walk in the door, the place is just packed. No tables available, nothing. So we literally, we were, we stood in the door for about two seconds, decided, okay, let's go check out the street festival. We'll come back a little later. So we do that. We pull out. We go park somewhere else. A few hours later, we come back. We walk in, and Craig says to us, and again, we'd been stood in the door for about two seconds. Hey, guys, I saw you come in and leave earlier. So glad you came back. And that, from there on, man, that's, you know, yeah, the fact no, that he... And, uh... Yeah. You know, I mean, that's what it's, uh, you know, that's what it's all about, right? It, yeah. It's, 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 be, it's appreciating, appreciating people and appreciating support. And, yeah. you know, like I just said, it's not a coincidence that we were teammates, right? Yeah, we were exactly. all, we were all teammates and that's what you get is with team is that together, you know, it's a cliche, but our coach beat, you know, team together, yeah. everyone achieves more. Right. And that yeah. was our, our mandate at uh, UFC. And, and what was neat about the old place, Ryan, is, when it got busy like that, yeah. we would grab an old Tupperware bucket, and you've probably seen it, and we'd throw a tablecloth over it, go to the back room, and so they would, and we'd set it between the bathroom and the kitchen and put two little chairs, and you wouldn't believe how many people wanted that Tupperware <laughs> table because it was like, you know, it was like a, a, a really kind of, uh, how do you say it? Uh, roughing it version of a chef's table That's at right, that yeah, time, yeah. right? <laughs> and uh, but you know what? It was just trying to accommodate, and uh, and I truly believe, um, you know, if if you're you've got a good product and and and, and you're doing your best, uh, people will eat, they'll eat anywhere because I mean they were two feet from the bathroom and two feet from the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. 
No, but that that kind of hospitality that you know that he saw us and remembered us two hours later on a crazy busy day. Amazing. And I see it from you uh, when I've been in there. Just the uh, you know everybody's your friends and family when they're in the in the oh, restaurant. Thank you. So. Thanks for listening in, folks. I'll be back next week with all new content and some new weekly segments. That's a wrap, everybody. See you all then. Hey, friends, thank you for tuning in. Please be sure to subscribe to the show, and I'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. You can find me online at eatmorebarbecue.ca and also at albertabbqtrail.ca. Check out the listing of joints on the Barbecue Trail site and show them your support. If you're not in Alberta, get out and show your local barbecue joints some love. Give me a follow on Twitter at Eat More Barbecue and on Facebook and Instagram at eat underscore more underscore barbecue. If you have any questions or guest suggestions, my email is eatmorebarbecue at gmail.com. Thanks to Alan Horbin for the great music on this and every episode of the Eat More Barbecue podcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported, and is a production of Eat More Barbecue Digital Media. Till next time, folks, keep on smoking. <laughs>